Hello, my name is Tyrone Chase, and this is Coffee Talk. Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Berklee College of Music's guitar department. Today's guest is Tyrone Chase. Tyrone Chase is a guitarist, producer, and educator who hails from the nation's capital, Washington, D.C., where he graduated from the renowned Duke Ellington High School of the Performing Arts. He went on to continue his studies at the Berklee College of Music in Boston, Massachusetts, where he received a Bachelor of Arts degree in music production and engineering. A highlight of Tyrone's time in Boston was getting the call to work with Boston native Jordan Knight of New Kids on the Block for his debut solo album. It was also around this time that Tyrone got his big break getting the call to join contemporary jazz artist Walter Beasley. In the four years with Walter, Tyrone toured and recorded with him as well as served as his music director. Tyrone then joined R&B artist Brian McKnight's band for the next 14 years where he toured and recorded extensively, including multiple appearances on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, Regis and Kelly, Ellen DeGeneres, and The Today Show. He has performed and or recorded with artists such as Sheila E. Earth, Wind and Fire, Ollie Woodson, Randy Jackson, Christian McBride, and many more. Tyrone is currently the interim chair of the ensemble department at Berklee College of Music. Hi everyone, I'm Kim Perlack. I'm the chair of the guitar department at Berkeley College of Music and welcome to another Coffee Talk. It's a new season and a new semester, new school year for us. Um, as usual, we're joined by Assistant Chair Cheryl Bailey. Hey Cheryl. It's a new season, but I have the standard old school Berkeley guitar department mug. Mm-hmm. The old and the new. I like that. Um, we're also joined as usual by Ben Cody, our senior coordinator. Hey Ben. Hi Kim, how you doing? Good. Um, And then our special guest, our first special guest of the season is Tyrone Chase, who is assistant chair of the ensemble department. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. Also a great guitarist. Uh, Thank you. And I actually I know they said this in the meeting the other day because it hasn't been like officially said, Mm -hmm. but I'm actually the interim chair of the ensemble department. I was going to say it, but I didn't want to know. I didn't know. I had heard it, but I didn't know. know, I I didn't in the meeting. I was just kind of like, ah, no, nah, I don't. I'm not going. I just let it roll. I'm not going to. I'm not going to say anything. Amazing! Congratulations. Thank you. So we've been telling everyone that the guitarists eventually will just run the world, and I think this is another good we've example come, of a good choice. We've come to take <laughs> over. Yes. <laughs> I love that. Um, so Tyrone, um, the first question we ask everybody is: um, Do you drink coffee? And um, if you do, how do you take it? black um just sugar no cream nice. um i need coffee that's going to turn me into the credible hulk if it does it i don't want it so i think cream and all that is going to dilute it so no water no cream just sugar to, to take the, the bitterness off the taste but other than that's it now like do you so does it mean it's thick like it's like it's a really dense coffee as, as well. long as it works like i have a, an espresso machine in here um, it's an older one, but one of the uh, faculty that were in here used to have the same one and he put it up and the first time I had, it, I was like, Oh, wait a minute. No, no, no. I need to get this machine. So I found it on Amazon and now I have it in my office. So yeah, I've been hooked on Nespresso now and especially since they're in the mall. So I, I'm always over there getting what I need for my machine at home and my machine here. Mm. Okay, so I have a question for you. So did this approach to coffee develop over time or was it like a result of a certain point of your career? 
Is it a, is it a result of being on the road? Is it like, when did you develop like the simple, strong approach? Berkeley, when I became a student here. Um, I, I always remember I, in the cab, I had to stay up for a project or something. And it was the first time I really had any coffee. And I think I drank like five cups. Because at first it wasn't working like I thought it was supposed to work. And then that night I could not sleep. And at the time, across the street from 150, it was uh, Store 24. So they used to have a mug that you could buy and you could refill it. 59 cents. And I was over there all day, every day. Wow. What yeah. were the years that you were here as a student? 92 to 96. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And the other question we always ask people, um, and this is because so many of the listeners are in uh, some firsts, like their first time here at Berkeley, their first time coming back, you know, there's so many beginnings. And so are there things that stood out to you um, as part of your first days, like first days as a student, and then you've had other first days, first days as a faculty member, first days as an assistant chair, now first days as a chair. Mm -hmm. uh, what are some of the firsts that are really in your memory? Wow. Um, first student, I mean, I came here to, for mp &E. That's the only reason why I came to Berkeley was for that. And that's what my major was in is mp &E. Um just actually taking some of those classes, I was really a fish out of water because I knew I wanted to do mp &E, but I did not know all that it entailed. And so being in, I think at that time it was MT100. And that class was way over my head just because it seemed like everybody in the class knew more than me. So they knew what questions to ask where I'm sitting in the back, like I don't even know what to ask. Um, so I know being in that first, it, it I had to get a tutor for the class, but not being you know ashamed to get help that really taught me a lot don't worry about you know it's not a competition with anybody and with any other student you're here to get certain information you need to do whatever you need to do to get that information so you know i ended up having to get a tutor which is funny because it's actually dan thompson who's the assistant chair he was my tutor <laughs> No kidding. So, so Dan, yeah. Dan Thompson, assistant chair of uh, MP&E, for people who are listening. Yes. So he was a student at the time and was your tutor? Yeah, he was my tutor. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. Yeah, That's yeah. cool. I really love that you kind of opened with that first day because a lot of our students, as you know, that are taking guitar and then also in the ensemble department are producers. And I worked as a producer for a few years of my career. And I think it would be really great to hear your perspective on, on this idea that really developing your skill set on your instrument and really working on how you listen when you play with others. Mm -hmm. These are all actual production skills yeah. as well. Um, because I, I know that sometimes people feel less comfortable if you're coming for MP&E, less comfortable maybe playing um, with groups or, or playing in front of people. And then it's it's uh, very tempting to say, well, maybe I don't need to do that because I want to be a producer. And and I always say, you know, the thing that helped me the most as a producer was was being able to hear a lot of real details and nuances. And, and I think where you can really try that out and listen and get your ears together is when you're practicing your instrument and when you're playing with other people. Yes. And, and in a way that's a professional development. That's like almost a career development skill for a producer is to play. Um, do you, how do you think of that? Uh, definitely. Um, and we, we try to tell students in the um, ensemble department 
that, you know, don't think just because you're not planning on being a performer that the skills that you're going to learn, you're not going to need. You're going to need them if you're a film scorer, uh, to your point, to your producer, um, you're going to need them. So we really, really try to show how important it is to have these skills. I know for me, it was one of those things where, well, well, at least what I would think is that you're not going to get all the information on every detail in four years, but at least if you can get the fundamentals, you could always go back and build on those fundamentals. So learning that helps to balance if you're a student here and you're doing playing or performing and you're doing mp and e or something like that get the fundamentals after you get the fundamentals and use the faculty to be able to bounce things off of the other good thing was that if i had any questions i had somebody i could go to and go okay well you know what i learned this i learned this what is this what do you call it so you know what i mean squares that once you get out of school you're not going to have that same kind of resource so you know, just if you really get those foundational skills, those are it'll definitely help. Plus, I think the people that you perform with, especially in the ensembles, if you're not used to doing that, they're going to give you the beginning ideas for whatever instrument. So if you've never worked with a guitar player, these guitar players that are in there, they're going to give you your first impression of what it's supposed to sound like or different ideas. Same thing, piano players or whatever. So they really, really help. You know, their different approaches will help your form your musical taste. Well, yeah, that actually is a great point, because then if you go on to be a producer, you've had experience working with all of these different instrumentalists. Sure. And so you can you know what to listen for a little bit differently and more intimately. Yeah. And you also have other friends from your past to call upon. Right. Because like you're, you're, you're making those yeah. um, you're making those relationships now. So it's kind of like I know when I was doing MP&E, I had ended up getting in a, fr a friend of mine who I don't know how we initially got paired up to do a project, but me and him really worked well together. So all my other MP&E &E projects, I went to him first. Hey, can you do this? Can you do this? Can I, let's make this work. And for the most part, he was able to do it. And that ended up keeping that relationship. So we, you know, and we could talk about various things. And he would give ideas and we just really worked well together. So that really helped a lot. Yeah. I mean, and I hope you don't mind me saying this, but you are a great guitar player. Oh, thank and you. You're welcome. And I think like even you coming thinking like, okay, I'm, I'm here for production. You don't know where your life is going to take you. No. And so you ended up playing, I mean, maybe more just as much as you ever dreamt that you would. And I'm sure that your ability to play also helped you when you're doing different projects because you could actually play on the project as well. Yes. And I, I would say for the students who did MP, like doing MP and &E, you know what? It, it was funny because it was really being naive. I didn't know any better. So I think going back now, thinking about it now, probably I should have said no to a lot of things that I didn't. And I just it was one of those things where if people ask me, you know, because I end up doing a lot of singer showcases. I traveled with the school. I did a ton of recitals, recordings, uh, school recordings and my philosophy was if I had time, if it was if if you asked me, OK, can you do my project? OK, what day is it? All right. When are the rehearsals? Mm -hmm. Yeah. OK. You know, and now I should have been like, no, I, I got to do other stuff. But what I would do was, in, especially in uh, recordings, 
while they're setting up, I'm there and I'm looking at their mic selection. I'm looking at how they're placing things. I would ask a couple questions without getting in the way just to go, okay, yeah, all right. Now, Nettis is giving me uh, a reference point. Because for me personally, reference points work really, really well. So as long as I have a reference point, I can kind of maneuver. It's, it's, so when I have that, I'm, I'm pretty good. See, that's a good point, too, because when you do sessions as a player, you're also looking at the way other producers set them up. And the way other engineers are hearing what mics they choose, where the placement is, um, do they put everyone in the same room? Do they put anyone in an isolation? Like all those things, like what about the time of night and the, how the room sounds and all those things yeah. um, that, you know, become so important that you don't think. I never would have thought of it had I not worked in different studios or shown up to play on people's records. Right. Um so I think that's a great point too, like all those things. Um, and sometimes I think if you can go in, um, like say you're nervous to go play, uh, more nervous about your playing than you're producing or vice versa. If you go in, like you're saying, with a spirit of curiosity, mm-hmm. like I'm here to also learn about yeah. what I'm going to take away later, it makes it easier to go. Because yeah. it's not so like, am I going to screw this up or am I going to succeed? It's like, what am I going to learn from like the way they do it? Is kind yes. of cool, cool way yeah. to do it. And I think that's true, don't you think? Like in your younger days, we all overwork yeah. because you just like you, and you, that's maybe why, why, uh, why it's set up that way that we have more energy in those times. Well, you know what? I I I took it. I always thought that it was a. I felt honored that somebody would ask me to to play on their project or whatever. Right. So it was just kind of like, yeah, sure. You know, and I'm and I really wasn't thinking the all of the details of being a performer and doing MPNE. Um, looking back at it now, there wasn't too many people that were doing it on that mm. same level, like equally like doing the production and the, the performing. Mm. The only people that I knew of that were doing it now looking back, they were they had already been to college. So they were a lot older than me, at least four or five years older than me. They had already been to college. They had already gotten their degree. Now they're coming here to do MP&E. And I'm I'm 17, straight out of high school. Just, I just didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I want to come back to that, too, about like, because I think what's interesting about from what I know is that you've gone to school with people who have become your colleagues and then you've played a lot in your life with much older musicians and younger musicians. Mm -hmm. And I think um, it would be interesting to hear you talk about like, what are the things you feel like you learned from, you know, people who are older, who are more in a, um, like kind of like a teacher role in some ways, as well as a colleague role. Mm -hmm. And what do you learn now from musicians who are younger that you play with? Space, space, you know, when you're younger, you, you're you going for the flash, you're going for the fastest, especially guitar, you know, and I'm, we we're trying to play all of this stuff. And um, I learned a lot of space. Um, one thing coming from D.C. that I learned and I, I kept was I, I've always respected what the elders thought, you know, like that. It was something when somebody older who was doing it gave you a compliment. And because they knew what it was, what it was supposed to sound like. So for me, that was a, I, I needed to get their approval or it made me feel a certain way when they're like, okay, no, you're on the right track or you need to do this. You need to do this because we, back then we respected their opinion. Mm-hmm. So that's where that came from playing with the, as they're younger, it's you, <laughs> it's funny because 
you 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 remember the fire that the younger generation are playing with you like i remember when i was like that i remember when i just man it was like all day every day and you're like uh so it, it helps you know when you kind of get settled and it's like all right man I, i'm gonna rewind I've, I've done this a whole bunch of times seeing their fire makes you go no 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 we got we got play today too we, we, we can't dial us in we're gonna have to we're gonna have to play so that that helps what are some things like that you do personally to keep building on that idea? Like how do you keep things new and fresh? Because I think that even for students, you know, when you're in school, it can start to feel like a grind. Like anything can feel like a grind. You know, you come to the semester, for example, everything feels new and exciting. And now it's week five and it gets into the middle and it's like people, gen sometimes there's that little dip, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, how do you help people stay on task but also keep things like new and keep things exciting and keep things like keep themselves curious like do you have advice that you kind of tend to give students or yourself even just like interacting with other people you know mm -hmm. just really uh i would try to find people who were either doing what I was doing or trying or, or ahead of me because that pushed me when the days when I just didn't feel like doing things. And, you know, uh, I would walk through the practice rooms and I would hear, you know, I, I don't feel like doing this today. And I walk through the practice rooms or you hear somebody you like, Man, good God, they are killing. Yeah, let me go in here and practice. Let me let me get my stuff together. Like, I, I, I can't take no days off, you know, um, and not settling appreciate the compliments but don't become complacent you know what i mean it's like okay you know going back to the point of with the elders it would be like you know say if somebody came that i that i admired or i looked up to and they would come see me play or hear me play and it's like okay what do, what do you you know how did i sound oh man no you sounded great you sounded good no 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 for real real how did i sound it's like no 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 you you're good you know just keep going keep going no 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 for real how did i sound and they kind of where your time was a little off, you did so-and-so and this, and you kind of go, oh my God. Like, I, I didn't know they were going to say all of that. But then you go, okay, now I know what I have to work on, you know, because they're doing what they're doing and I want to be where they are. I want their respect. And yeah. You know. I really love that. I mean, this is something we talk about a lot and I just covered this in my class. Um, trying to move from a place of judgment to a place of assessment of your playing and just say like, it's not like a personal thing. You have to feel bad that you don't or shy away from really looking at what you have to work on mm -hmm. because you're judging yourself like your own worth. Right. Um, but what you're doing is assessing, like you just said, like, what do you need to work on? Like what would make you better? You know what I mean? And then, and then when it stings, when someone tells you, just take that deep breath like you did. Like those who are listening may not have seen him, but he like sat up straight and took a deep breath and's like, okay, I'm going to take that in and then I'm going to go work on it and yeah. just better. And then you're, you're, you're saving so much time and stress of that feeling of not wanting to know how you're doing just in case it's bad and all those things where people run away because of the judgment aspect and just saying like maybe i could assess myself um and really learn 
what's next? I and record, and you know, and record yourself. Now, I wasn't a friend of mine years ago. Actually, when I was here, used to say that he's like, "Man, record yourself when you practice." And I hate to hear myself. I absolutely hate to hear myself. I always remember a friend of mine. Uh, I was on the road and I went to, uh, I was in a friend of mine's city. So we're sitting in his living room and I'm playing, he's recording it. And he was like, yo, I'm gonna put this on like social media. And I was like, man, please do not put that on social media. Like I'm going to die. Like I, I sound terrible. And he was like, man, just listen to it. And I'm like, all right. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, well, this didn't sound as bad as it, I thought it did, <laughs> you know, and I guess, you know, realizing, you know, you end up learning the type of person that you are like, OK, if you know that you're I'm one of the people I'm in my head a lot. So when you know that it's kind of like, OK, well, no, just take a listen back to it. And there's been a lot of times where I I'll play something. And I'm like, oh, God, all I hear are the mistakes. I hear where I went for this and it didn't. Oh, God. And it's kind of like just get out your own head, listen back to it. And it's like. Oh, no, that, it didn't sound as bad as I thought, you know, and then you just work on the, you know, it's, it, you work on the, the problem things and just don't shy away from it, you know, especially while you're here, because this is the time that you have to do it. Mm-hmm. Get in those positions where you feel uncomfortable, which is weird for me because I hate to be uncomfortable. But <laughs> musically, I've constantly put myself in uncomfortable positions. And it's one of those things where immediately I'm like, man, why did you keep doing this to yourself? But that's how I end up growing because I have to learn it on the spot. I have to do it on the spot. And, you know, you'd be surprised what you end up being able to accomplish when you can't say, okay, I'll have it next week or, you know, I'll get it later. You know, there's so many things. And um, I'm going to throw it to Cheryl in a second because she I can tell that she's got a lot to say as well. Um, but I have to acknowledge this one thing you said was another topic of the same ensemble class mm-hmm. that I had, um, which is that idea of really letting yourself take chances when you're in sessions and when you're home and record yourself so you can hear yourself. But don't always post everything you practice on social media. Because you can really take some chances or have a session like a a hang session where you're just playing and tell everybody to put their phone away so that you can you don't have that pressure of like people are going to listen to this later before I feel like it's ready. And you can just literally try things and have that feeling of going for stuff. And then later, I think it's really hard because a lot of our students are just so like every time they pick up a guitar, they pick up the phone and then they're like, everything I do is going to be for everybody. And and we did not grow up that way. No. Um, you know, even Ben, who's younger than us, um, we just didn't have that as just like an integral part of the culture when we were like really taking chances and trying to learn things and put them together. Um, Cause it's even different in a live. I remember some concerts where I'd take all kinds of chances and then I'd leave and I'd be like, well, thank goodness that the only people who heard that were the ones who were here. And then right. it's just their memory. And then they're like, no, 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 that was great. You know, they don't really remember. They can't be like, here it is, you know? Um, right. So I, I don't know, like, how do you, Think about that for the students in the ensemble department. Do you encourage them to use the time at least that they have in class with their teachers to to not think about um, publicizing every rehearsal? Yes. Um, and I'm glad you made that point because I didn't never I guess I never really thought about it. That, that that's one major thing that's different from back then to now is having that phone 
or mm-hmm. putting everything, you know. Um, yeah, that's it, it, it's uh, I'm sorry, say, say that question one more time. That made me think of something else, but I want to make sure I stay on top. <laughs> yeah, I, I just wanted to know, like, so, for example, yesterday in the ensemble, we just said, like, consider mm-hmm. having rehearsal time or session playing time or practice time where you record yourself and you don't post it. Like you right. record it only for a tool so that you can hear yourself. And if, and then you just take a bunch of chances and try new things without that pressure that you're putting on yourself, maybe even subconsciously. Right. But it's going to go on Instagram later. Right. And I'm yeah. Wondering, like, yeah. Do you, do you feel that way? That's important as well. Um, when you're thinking about students and ensembles to just have time that's not for the public. Yes. Live in the moment. Yeah. Just live in the moment, live in the moment, try to truly create in this space. And when it comes to the phone, it's kind of like, okay, look, this room is a safe space. Nothing in this room is going to go leaked out. Like, you know what I mean? You can record it for your own purposes, but that's it. We're not leaking this. We're not putting this out here because this is a safe space for everybody to create and take those chances. Um, uh, And we really... I, I know I really I, I push it because I was one of those students where I did not take chances at all, like at all. I always remember I went to an arts high school um, in, in Washington, D.C., Duke Ellington School of the Arts. And I remember John Faddis came to the school, a trumpet player. And he was asking various things about each student in the jazz band. I remember he asked me something. And I'm like, man, I don't really like people knowing anything about me. And he was just kind of like, oh, OK. So the next day he's giving everybody certain books and he gave me this book about taking risk. And I never read the book, (laughs) but I had that book for a lot of years. I wish I could remember the name of the book because I would read it now, but it was like basically trying to get me out of the shell to take risk. And when I was able and comfortable enough to say, you know what, sink or swim, I'm willing to take the risk. That made all of the difference in the world. And then I would try to find out why I was so scared. I would ask myself questions like, well, why are you scared to take risk? You know, why are you scared to do this? Why are you scared to hit a bad note? Why are you scared to do this? You know, and it's like, OK, well, I got something to prove. Well, who do you have to prove to? Do you have anything to prove? No. OK, so now what? You know, uh, I would get scared when I would perform. It's like, OK, didn't this isn't this something that you always wanted to do it for your entire life? Yes. OK, you're doing what you're doing, right? Yeah. So why are you nervous? I I don't know. And that helped me with stage fright because it was kind of like, this is what you do. So why are you nervous? And I'm like, well, no, I don't know. You know what I mean? So it's just finding those lessons, going through those things. You know, if you're playing with your people that you love or the people that you admire, a really quick story. I remember meeting, uh, I, I was able to go to George Benson's house and I remember playing there and, you know, I would think, OK, I stole so much from this man that it's ridiculous. Like you're going to throw me out your house because I've stole so many things from your records. And it was like, you know, but I wasn't nervous because I was like, OK, well, I'm not going to really play anything he's never heard before. So I don't really have anything to prove. All I got to do is just play. And, you know, that ended up helping a whole lot. So, you know, you just find those things that, you know, you, you had those real moments with yourself and yeah how old were you when you started asking yourself those questions like intentionally asking yourself the questions 
I don't know. What time is it? <laughs> but yeah, like, I, I mean, because I think that they're so smart. And yet I think when especially I mean, they're always scary questions to ask. Mm-hmm. But I think it and it takes a lot to ask them. And mm-hmm. I think it takes a lot to ask them when you're young. And I'm wondering, like, like, when did you when did you consciously know you had the strength to ask yourself those questions? And, and where do you think that came from? I think I got I got tired of being scared. I got tired of doing it. You know, say if you you just get totally wiped out, scared, and especially being a guitar player, your hands are shaking. It's over with. And it was kind of like I, I just got tired of doing it, knowing that I could do better. So it was just like I would have to ask myself the hard questions. Um, I had things what I call uh life lessons where there's certain things that you end up going through through life where the light bulb goes off and you go wait a minute i got this um that particular thing or something close to that was when i first got the gig playing with brian mcknight we were in the philippines in a soccer stadium we had did like the first two tunes and it was a break in the show where we're just standing there the crowd is going crazy you see all these lights and all this other stuff and I'm looking and I'm like, I'm on stage in front of 20 something thousand people in a soccer stadium in the Philippines with Brian McKnight. And I mean, I, I lost it. I mean, I um, I really literally start breaking down and it was like, dude, you cannot break down now. You're going to have to get it together. Like, and I'm having a whole full conversation with myself on stage, like, hey, get it together. Like, you, you can't fall apart, man. This is what you're supposed to be doing. Like, you're going to mess up your opportunity. Get it together. So I'm like, OK, OK, we're going to get it together. All right, man, I'm, I'm all right. I'm all right. And I'm having this whole conversation with myself. But that was one of those times where it was like, man, you know, this is what you always wanted to do. Why are you nervous? There's no reason to be nervous. This is what you wanted to do. This is what you've been going to school for. This is what, you know, your parents and your grandparents have been talking with you, supporting you all this time. There's no reason to be scared. And that, and that helped me get out of it. So those were one of those life lessons that I had where the, the light bulb went off. And I had to have a conversation with myself because I could not. Like when I tell you, I mean, I really broke down for a hot second. Like legs shaking, hands shaking. It was bad. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's so so great that you chose to share that because I think sometimes people think, well, look, he had this gig and so clearly it was always easy for him. You know what I mean? Or it's easy because like you you have that opportunity, the idea that that you would still feel that way and have to work through it, I think is really important for people to know that's just true. That's just reality. You know? Yeah. And everyone has those stories, like every single person. And I think it's good to know that when you're younger. So thanks for sharing that story. And I think talking with other, the other point is talking with other people, because you, you realize, like, I love autobiographies. I don't read them as much as I used to, but I'm still making my list because, you know, to your point, you think on the outside, people just boom, they're on the scene and they have mm-hmm. everything together. But you read their story and you're like, oh, they're no different than I am. Mm-hmm. They, that they had to overcome this they had to overcome that you know it 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 changes your perspective and for me i needed that not to hear a horror story but you know when you're young you know and you're when i came up playing guitar was kind of weird so mm-hmm. it was like you know my peers are looking at me like you play guitar you know so you could really be in your head and think like, oh, my God, I'm the only person that has to deal with this. But then you realize talking to other people is like, no, this is normal. 
like everybody goes through this and it doesn't matter you know if you think like say somebody who has perfect pitch or total recall or something they still have to do the work this mm -hmm. aspect may become easy but they still got to learn the instrument they still got to learn their voice they, they still have to do work and everybody does a lot of work or the people who have like phonographic memories they still got to do the work so you know you just got to get in there and go okay this is what i have this is what i do and i, I still need to do the work yeah, I think that that well, that's one of the reasons why we love to have these conversations. Mm -hmm. So people can look at the their faculty and chairs and and musicians they look up to at Berkeley in a different way. And um, I mean, you'd be so proud, I think, that in my ensemble class in the mm -hmm. guitar department, that was the other advice we gave people was go read autobiographies really? and go to people's office hours. And for the same reason, I mean, I'll just share and then I'll kick it to Cheryl that. I had this wonderful teacher who one time said, like, your, your assignment is that you have to read autobiographies by people who are in different musical styles than the one you play. Hmm. And so the first one I picked was uh, Marvin Gaye. And mm. uh, I couldn't get over because um, he just always seemed to me as so relaxed. I just grew up with those records and... Um, mm. And he just always seemed so relaxed in his space and timing and so comfortable. And to know that he suffered from terrible stage fright was a huge eye opener to me. I couldn't believe it. And I've never forgotten that. And I, I often return to the parts um, where it talks about that. And um, it was so such a good idea. And I was young when that happened. And so I never lost that. And I thought, you know, that's such a good thing. You don't, don't just read about the people who do what you think you're doing. Read about everybody. Everybody. And, you know, everybody. And then you'll learn something. You'll learn that things aren't so different. And then the differences also will will teach you. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think you also just have the. It puts everybody on the same playing field, but then it also is kind of you have to get in your mind that if they could do it, I can do it, too. That's right. So That's that right. encourages you because it's like, OK, well, they had to overcome this. They had to overcome this or they had to do this. They had to do that. So, OK, if they could do it, I can do it. I just got to, you know, I got to buckle down and, and do what I need to do. Mm, I love that. Um, so, Cheryl, I know there's a lot on your mind, so I'm going to throw it over to you. Yeah, well, so many things. We'll have to catch about, up about Duke Ellington School because I have some friends that were involved there. So we probably have a lot of connections that we didn't know there. Um, well, you know, the, from the beginning, the first thing that struck me, which makes sense. I mean, you unfolded that when, you know, you first came here, you went for tutoring and you were saying, like, I realized that, you know, asking questions and not being afraid to ask the questions was the way to get the answers. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a that's such a big hurdle for people. And, you know, my, lately I've just it, it really dawned on me to let students know that actually the, the two the main person you really help when you ask a question is the teacher, because mm -hmm. then they know what you don't understand or or they see a doorway in open it opens a door to like oh let's have this conversation and then of course you get your question answered right so that 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 seed of that ability was obviously there you know from the beginning we're saying you just signed up for tutoring but this there's a couple things that came uh, uh, there were so many good things um also, you're just talking about collecting information. And I see, you know, your diversity as, uh, you know, in production and as a guitarist. And then, you know, now you're 
running the ensemble department, chair the ensemble department, all those things is that, you know, sometimes students are go, well, I don't want to do that, or why do I have to practice that, or this and that, and it's, you know, the people that uh, succeed, I see, are the ones that go into every situation and go, well, how much can I learn from this? Because, you know, all these things will inform each other in time, you know, and you might not see that end result, you know, who knew you would be in this situation, in this situation. So I, I think that's a good thing to keep in mind, but really a great thing to get about into here is you and Kim were talking about, you know, assessing yourself and not taking things personally. So since you are the chair of the ensemble department, this is something, I mean, I'm, I went to Berkeley and, and I had to have, you know, ratings, auditions. And the thing that I always try from my point of view, and so I'd love to, have your point of view as the chair is to use these as assessments as uh, as an opportunity you know to see these areas that need to be addressed you know and that that's actually you should say thank you for that like you know what like when the elder comes to you and says yeah but your time was a little squirrely there maybe you should they actually thank you for that guidance to be able to get that guide so that's what i'm always telling my students is to use them as benchmarks to say well you know two semesters ago i my reading was here but i went and practiced it and now it's up here also i i find in the real professional world world you rarely get those opportunities to get that pat on the back like wow your work paid off so you can kind of see that in real time so i mean that's my point of view about the whole how the the ensemble department works with the ratings is that yes they're assessments to help guide you to parts of your musicianship that you know because everybody has those places everybody has those places and you were even just saying that like someone looks on one level like wow they've got everything together but meanwhile they're working on things behind the scenes we don't see it um, so anyway, I'd love to your thoughts about that in terms of helping our students maybe understanding that process of the of ensemble ratings and ensemble placement. Sure. So the numbers one through eight go for the semesters, which I found this out fairly recently, which I did not know. Um, and it, it, to your point, that's exactly what it's supposed to do. So basically, and for assessing you know, you you say you come in the first semester, you're ones, even though, you know, it could be all over the place. But by the eighth semester, you would be at eight so that you could see uh, your growth as well as you could also get feedback from other faculty that you may not be taking. Um, and it made me think because the way I had to assess myself was I would read. So like, you know, I got into West Montgomery when I was in high school. And so now I'm reading all about him. I'm finding out when he started to play. Okay, I'm going to find a recording when he's this age. Let me see what he sounds like. Mm, you know, because that's the only way I could assess myself. So this is just another form or another way for you to be able to assess your growth where you're actually able to see it. You know, so you'll be able to go. And, and it's just a benchmark. It's nothing to it's nothing to uh, rate your musicianship as like or like this is who you are or you know what i mean they're just assessing numbers that's that's all it is so we, we sometimes we put too much in the rate or we take them the wrong way not that we put too much in it we take them the wrong way and we make it think oh my god i got twos i'm a terrible musician no it's not you're not a terrible musician and for me it's one of those things where i'll tell students you got time 
or you have the ability to be able to make them better. You can go in, you can practice this, go to these 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 weak points. You know, the running joke, I guess, we'll get, you know, the running joke for guitar players. I won't even say it on this podcast. You know what I mean? As far as us being readers or whatever. But, um, you know, don't shy away from that. Yeah, I think I think that's great. I mean, I think that's definitely my thoughts about it. And my and I remember my own experience as a student, you know, and sometimes you don't folks don't always re-audition all the time. But I remember there was an ensemble and I had not I don't know what my ratings were, but I needed sevens and I didn't have sevens. And I remember I went I was Ed Tomasi, actually. And I went to him and I said, hey, Ed, I want to be in your class so bad. I'm going to work so hard. And he said, come on in. You know, and I think that's all he needed to hear was someone come and pledge there. Hey, I'm going to work hard. And anyway, you know, then I got in there and I got to play. And he he gave so many great assessments. Mm. Everyone's playing. And in the anyway that gave me the confidence and to play with those great players. Then when I went to re-audition, by the time I left, I did have sevens, but I didn't start there. And I, and I do see that process because then it was a great feeling of accomplishment when I got there and then I re-auditioned. I was like, okay, yeah, that those hours on all those details and it paid off that. Thank you. You know, again, I would say give, give thanks for those pointers. Right. But I mean, one of the things that you also said was that you went and sought out the information. And I think that's one of the major things. I mean, you're taking a risk, but you're taking a risk to get better. For me, I had to make sure I had to keep telling myself this is for you to get better. Take the risk. Uh, I love boxing. So I always remember uh this is a life lesson that I learned from somebody else. I remember hearing Larry Holmes talk about the first time he sparred with Muhammad Ali before he became champion, before Larry Holmes became champion. He was like, man, the first day he was like, man, Ali, what my buddy gave me a black eye. And he was like, man, he was going in his neighborhood like, hey, I got this shiner from the the Muhammad Ali. Like he was proud of it. And it was, you know, normally you're not going to tell anybody you got black eyes. Oh, no, I fell down some steps. I ran into the refrigerator or whatever. He was so happy about it. But he was like, man, because I was learning from him. You know what I mean? So I say that, you know, don't be afraid to take the butt with it to learn. You know what I mean? This is this is a good butt with it. You're going to go in here and you may be the weakest link in the room. But having your mind, you're, it's not going to always be that way and it's not going to stay that way. So you, you, these people are making you get better. You have no choice because you don't want to be the weakest link. So I'm going to learn. It's going to take some time, but I'm going to learn. I'm going to get better. And I'm going to just keep chipping away. I think Ben has some experience with that, right? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah I, mean, this, I mean, you know, when I came in as a student, you know, being a kind of stereotypical rock player, you know, I never really uh, spent the time I should have on on reading, and um, you know, kind of I kind of had that, well, you know, my my Berkeley moment. You know, my first semester of all right, am I gonna, how am I gonna handle this? Am I just gonna let this kind of crush me and and you know, fail <laughs> at all this, or or you know, it, it kind of just came to the point where I, I just kind of figured out all right well if i have to work three times as hard as the person next to me to get an a then so be it like uh, i just have to to put more work in on my end and then you know even i guess 
in my band too. When I was a student, I mean, I had, I was lucky enough to have the musicians around me. I'll be, you know, much better <laughs> than, mm-hmm. than I was too. to kind of, especially my drummer at the, at the time. Um, you know, it's just, he was just such an amazing player that it kind of made me realize that I really need to work on a lot of my timing. And, 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 you know, he would like, even at rehearsal, even at some shows too, like, you know, he'd uh, purposely throw some stuff to try to get me off. Cause just it would, that would how he would entertain himself. And um, it, w- it would really make me kind of rise up to like, all right, I really need to, to work on this. But, but yeah, it's definitely just one of those things that, you know, it, it doesn't matter how hard I have to work to get, to the result that I want to get to. Like, uh, as long as you're willing to put the work in, doesn't matter what the person next to you, how much work they're doing to get their result. And you never know what's happening behind closed doors. So you don't know whatever issues they may have to end up dealing with. And and for me, I don't want to know in the sense of, I think sometimes then we start searching for people's shortcomings to make ourselves feel better. No, I'm, I'm not really concerned about that to your point I, I have to do this so that i make sure i can get everything that i need to get you know and and and, and just so we clear i am i'm still not the best reader in the world um it ended up working out that my, my career was more of having to do things by ear or learn it on the spot but i was placed in position like playing with brian mcknight i played with him for 14 years and i remember he was doing an album where uh bill myers amazing arranger he had written a bunch of stuff out so we ended up having to read and it was kind of like you know oh god but i was like man i'm looking over i'm doing my regiment and i was able to function so i didn't fall totally on my face and i'm like thank god you know what i mean so i think uh I think, Kim, you talked about that, like, you know, having these different experiences because you don't know what you're going to be faced with. And I was able to come out of that one like, OK, whew, that was all right. I made it through that one. Yeah. yeah and it goes back to what you said about having a foundation that's broad and deep, yeah. because then it's just what you said. Like when I was uncomfortable and something was less familiar, I went through my regimen. So you had a process. You're like, oh, this is less familiar. So when it's less familiar, I do this. Right. And then you've got your steps and you've got your method. And, and that's why I think it's, it's so important to, to take your advice and just have everybody dive into all the fundamentals and really start to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yes. You know, and know find- that's, hard for, that's hard for, you know, and, and I'm, I'm an introvert. So that was really, really hard. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I learned it. And that's one of the things that we'll tell, like I would say with students and we do in the ensemble department is like, you know, when we came up learning music, you had to learn it this way. You got to conform to this way. And it's like, well, no, you don't need to conform. You just got to figure out your own way of doing things and use the ensembles to develop that skill there's certain skills that you have that you need to develop there's some that you don't know and you don't have you got to figure those things out and then develop them um we had did something on our uh instagram page for the ensemble department and it talked about a gave a scenario we called it a six 16 song scenario where you have to learn 16 songs in two weeks um because you got called to do a gig in um What's your regimen? How do you learn the tunes? And it was like, okay, you can't write it out because it's a big production. So you can't sit there with a phone or an iPad reading it. You got to be engaged with the, the whole show. You know, it was a certain kind of scenario, certain little things in there. How do you learn? 
you know, and it's, it's getting students to just think about it. Some students would say, okay, I would do this, do this, do this, do this, you know, I'm learning lyrics. This is what I do. I write them down, whatever. Okay. That works for you. Okay, cool. Use the ensembles to develop those skills. So they're razor sharp. Some of the students are like, man, I don't know how to answer this question because I don't know. It's like, okay, well, now you want to figure out how you learn. If you're a person like I, I need to hear things. I need to be able to hear it. So that's how I learn. So I know that. So that's part of my regimen. So it's like you figure out how you learn and then you develop them in your ensemble skills or in your ensemble classes to get those skills razor sharp. Plus, I think those things help you help your professors help you. So, you know, I mean, I know you all of you are, uh, at least Kim and Cheryl, you all would, would remember these, the Mickey Baker chords. Yes, I had the Mickey Baker book. I had I in, it. I, yeah. here, here's another yeah. life lesson. I was in high school and I remember we were learning my guitar teacher. He was teaching this to us. And I'm like, man, I don't I know all of them. I just don't know. I don't know anything. You know, I'm, I'm hearing these things every day. I'm not making the connection. And one day he came and he sat in for jazz band. And immediately I heard him start to play and I went, wait, those are the Mickey Baker chords. I'm like, oh, now I know how to use them. You know what I mean? But it taught me, OK, you got to figure out how you learn things so that you can learn. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not a huge theory person. So although I went to an arts high school, when we got when I got here, you know, we could be in harmony. And after a while, I might you start talking a bunch of harm. I'm kind of like. Mm, doo, 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 you know, and so what I ended up having to learn was I was an ear player. So when I came here, I was already able to play certain things. I'm, I'm like, OK, you know, you're, you're talking about secondary diamonds. So you're talking about whatever you're talking about. Can I hear it? I need you to play it. Can you give me uh, examples of it in tunes? So then I could listen to it and go, OK, boom. So now when I hear it automatically, I'm going, OK, I know what this is. That's a secondary dom. That's this. That's that. OK, because I can hear it. And that helped me or help professors help me to be able to get the information that I need. Yeah, I really love that. And, you know, there are certain things like the Mickey Baker chords are certain chord voicing yep. as are like the guitar proficiency that we use for the final exams. Right. Mm -hmm. I think what's really important also what, what you said was when you learn a way to map the fretboard, mm -hmm. you have a map. So yeah. then then when you hear something or then when you read something or then when someone explains something to you, whatever your mode of learning is, mm -hmm. you already have the map. And that's the thing is like the map is not a constraint. The map is a foundational element. So right. if you can play your modes, if you can play your chord voicings, it mm. gives you something to hang on to. And then you could you can manipulate it and you can be creative and you can put it in context, however you learn. Um, but I really love that idea of like, you know, you have a foundation and then you have to start to put together your process. Right. And then, you, you know, because, yeah. again, learning guitar we learned to cross the neck, you know what I mean? But you have a lot of self-taught musicians, especially guitarists, they play mm -hmm. down the neck because the the patterns look similar. They just make mm -hmm. the adjustments for the B and the E string. And it's kind of like, sure. oh, okay. You know, so that, you know, that helped a whole lot, just learning that, going back to reading different articles about people. Because I, I would find, like the people that I love, I tried to find everything I could find out about them. I mean, now it's different because everything's on the internet. But back then you had to get a book, 
you had yep. you know, I always remember being here when those videos of West Montgomery on Jazz five six two six five two five something like that when that first came out oh my goodness like that tape I wore that tape out because I was here and a friend of mine was like hey I got this uh, video of West Montgomery I just got it from my guitar teacher I'm, I can't even remember whose guitar teacher was I was like hey dude okay wait a minute I'm I'm fine VHS I need you to make me a copy right now. And I mean, I just looked at it over and over and listened to it over and over again. And, you know, just getting that information, getting getting all the information that you can possibly get. When I was a little kid, I don't know if you all remember this, but one of the guitar magazines is like guitar player. I think it was you would call on the phone. Like, so remember this? Like my teacher would be like, oh, do you want to know more about this person? And the article had a phone number and you called on the phone and it was like an answering machine, but it was the person like telling you about the thing. Like, oh, so wow. we call on the phone in my guitar lessons and we had to go to the phone because there were no one had phones, right? You had to go right. to the, if the phone was free in the music store in the front, we would take it and we would call guitar and they had to pay. And the guy, I, it was a two brothers called Wood Brothers music store, two brothers. And Brian would be like, or Chip would be like, are you guys calling guitar player again? <laughs> you, know, you had to pay like, you know, 90 cents a minute or something. And you could listen to the advice and the biography of the person. I did not know that. Yeah. Really? Cheryl, do you remember that? Yes, and I think it might have been an early form of true fire. I could I could I know they had something like that, but I think that might have been how far back they were thinking about. Oh, it was like, like I that. Mean, I was a kid kid, like a little kid and like, mm. you know, playing, it was like my first years of guitar, but um, I just remember that. Well, let's see. And then you'd call. You know, I definitely um, remember something, dial a joke and you could get um, Rodney Dangerfield. And I had a friend yeah. who got in trouble with her dad because she kept calling. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure the jokes were not repeatable too, you know? Well, I'm sure. Uh, hey, well, man. you know what? And that's weird because that, that's going to have me thinking now because well, I mean, when I first started playing guitar, I didn't, it never dawned on me to buy a book or get like a method thing. It was more of get recordings. So I started to learn recordings. Once I started yeah. to really pick things up, my mom was like, okay, you need to yep. learn how to read. Because my dad plays guitar, but he never learned how to read. And he mm. was in certain situations where he felt like insecure because he didn't know how to read and she's like that's never going to happen to you but i never thought about getting a book the only thing i can remember back then was the when the hot licks uh videos used to come out and it was like <laughs> lewis johnson it was al mckay uh i forgot who else was there and they used to play them in the music store but i mean back then man nobody had 40 dollars or 35 dollars or whatever to pay for those videos so i would just go to the video store and watch the all-star one when they would play little clips of everybody no, it's so true. I mean, so my mom was a piano teacher and oh, like as part of her um, relationship with this music store, um, they had like guitar lessons in the back. So that's and so I was always in the store. And so then they get the guitar magazines coming in and and like my dad was great. And I don't mean to say anything bad about him, but he would sometimes forget to pick me up. And so I would be there with the guys. <laughs> Sorry, dad. Like it was totally safe. Um, but I would be there with the guys and my teachers were the Arlo Guthrie's guitar players. 
um, cause, yeah, in Berkshire County. And um, they were just so cool and so nice. And, you know, I'd be like 10 and 11 and sitting there and like, oh. and then um, they, you know, people would be like, oh, check this out, check this out, you know, and I just kind of be watching and listening and stuff like that. Um, yeah. It's a cool. It was a cool environment. Um, just to wow. just to hear what everybody was doing. The other thing that's uh, that happened, Ben, you would have loved this. So every time the albums came, even if they came in tapes, there were uh, there was a whole stack. The record companies would send of posters that were the record cover. Hmm. Okay. and they used to give them out to all the kids that took lessons so i had all these amazing i mean who knows where they are now but i had like all these amazing record cover like i loved eric clapton at the time and he had like these super funky cool record covers in the 80s and the there's one where it looked like he painted it it was like it was so cool um wow. i had all, all the guitar ones they you know they, depending on your instrument they would just give you give you the covers it was cool that's funny that you said because Eric Clapton, the first song I heard of Eric Clapton was Lay Down Sally. My dad had the 45. Yes. And yeah. for years, I never knew who that was. I just remember the guitar part at the beginning and I loved it. So I would tell my dad, I need to hear this. Put this on. Put this on. Put this on. Then that, years later, I found out that that was actually Eric Clapton. Yeah, yeah. that little honky tonk thing that he did kind of on mean, that. Just, Amazing. As a kid, I love Boogie Woogie. So anything that was buggy, oh. buggy, buggy, I had to listen to it. So that was it. That was yeah. something that was in. Uh, I I loved anything that was like acoustic guitar finger picking. So all the Jimmy Page stuff, and wow. I loved James Taylor. Um, mm -hmm. I would sit there with, and Joni Mitchell. Oh, Joni Mitchell always tripped me out because I couldn't figure out how she had tuned it, and then I realized later sometimes there's a guitar and a dulcimer like laid on top. But I didn't. When when I had a teacher who told me that, I was like. <gasps> Oh, it's, I get it. There's two, you know, like you get yeah. all these discoveries because we couldn't see them. Right. You know, or like that was the revelation when people would be on MTV. I would like v VHS tape people on MTV and then like try to watch it. And then the tapes get all ruined because you yeah. play them so many times. Cheryl's yeah. laughing. What I'm talking about. But that's what you had to do, like because you didn't know when the video was coming on. It's not like you had YouTube. There's like this Eric Clapton solo trying to learn when I was like 13 or something. I couldn't figure it out, but it, it was gonna be on MTV. And I was like, and then sometimes they would put the camera away from him, and I'd be like, no. Right. right. You know? Um, yeah, so that's a it's a funny sign of our times you know we all learned everything like and then you have to find a friend and be like what do you think it goes like you know <laughs> well you know what I, mean, I i like that and i know it's hard for the the younger generation because they look at these things like as resources mm -hmm. but it was like it was something about having to do the search and had to figure it out because i mean for me coming up when i found out about george benson i was like wait you know um i gotta learn how to play like that and it's mm -hmm. weird because I never saw him play live until much, much later. But me trying to get the sound that he was getting off the record, I end up haphazardly picking similar to him because that's the only way that I could do it. You know, and I found out later going through this, like, you know, but you end up finding different ways of playing the same thing, which is not a bad thing. You know, you may go find, okay, I end up doing it this way. And it's like, as opposed to, oh, no, you're doing it wrong. Oh, man, that's a neat way to do that. Like, okay, I never would have thought of doing that. So now that puts you in a different lane, you know, and, and welcoming that as opposed to being like, well, no, uh, no, nah, nah, you're not doing it the right way. 
I think Berkeley's the closest guitar environment to that kind of thing we created for ourselves mm -hmm. because it's so multi-stylistic. Like when I finally got into classical guitar, it was because of the sound of it, just the sound of it and all the parts at the same time. Mm -hmm. And then you start to hear like, oh, Sting's guitar player is a nylon string, like Dominic Miller. You know, you start like identifying like all these people like, oh my God. And then you get way into those parts. And, and you know, I just got really deep. Obviously, I... I fell in love with classical guitar and I went over there. Mm -hmm. um, but you start to see all these similarities and, and then you start to see like how people do things different. Like my teacher um, knew uh, Pat Metheny and folks in his. Oh, wow. um, okay. And so when we were like kids, we used to be able to go backstage and hang out and stuff. And he is very, was super kind. I mean, um, he probably doesn't remember, but of course I remember because I was so young and, and like after a show, you know, he'd be sitting having a Coke with me and two other kids and like showing us like, oh yeah. And we're like, how do you hold the pick? He's like, oh, I hold it upside down. Like, you know, I, I, I hold it like this and I'm like, that's so cool. And, and, you know, do you practice scale? What are you drinking Cokes and talking about how you practice scales and things like that? Right. And he was just very cool to us, but also like super interested mm. in the way you do all oh, your fingernails or you have this and, and, and um, you think like, and then you come away knowing like, oh, wow, that guy who makes this music that's really unique to him also has a approach obviously like we know right. this now like he must have his own approach but as a kid like to hear that was pretty cool because then you're like oh maybe i could have my own approach right and i mean you know it, it made you made me think of something like revisiting certain things because i learned like from when i first started taking lessons until i graduated high school part of my ed music education was classical so mm. I did that for a lot of years, but it was one of those things where I lived a dual life because I had to do what I had to do for the lessons. But when I went home, like I was listening to the records, I was doing the taking the stuff off the records. But then I had to go in class and I have to do that. I had to do the same thing in high school. And I don't think I have I had the same appreciation that I would now because my whole approach would be different. Because it was just like, OK, you just got to learn this song. All right. You know, and we had to do our technique and stuff like that. And it was like, all right, okay. As opposed to now, it'd be like, man, it would, I think my head would blow. You know what I mean? Because oh, okay. you look at somebody like a Tuck Andrews who obviously does finger style, but he's gone and said, okay, I got this from here, but I'm going this direction. And it's like, oh yeah, you could really do that? Like, I thought you had to do it. It's like, no, you could do this. You could do that. And it's like, oh my goodness. Okay. You know. Yeah, he was another person that I really loved talking to. He's another person because of that. And what I was about to say, not to interrupt you, is that you say that maybe you didn't take a lot from it, but it makes sense to me that you studied classical guitar because I've heard you play solo guitar. And it was in the presentation concert that uh -huh. you gave when you were, um, you know, becoming assistant chair. Uh -huh. And and the way you play solo guitar show so much of an understanding of, I mean, obviously ensemble, cause that's mm. your main job, but, but like treating the solo guitar, like it, like it's a band or like it's an orchestra, like the orchestration and the arranging that you're able to, to really demonstrate mm. and, and um, give off in your solo playing, I think um, is that's just comes from that kind of listening. I think mm -hmm. when you, well, you so maybe know, I, I, I'll tell tell students, man, nothing is sacred. Everything you can use. You know, you listen to Wes and you listen to the comping that he does. He never interferes with a piano player. 
because you hear it and it's rhythmically consistent or it sounds like big band uh 2D sections where it's something and it goes right with everything it's still swinging and you can still be soloing or whoever could be soloing and it won't get in the way so it's like when you get all of that information you just say okay i i've internalized it how do i reproduce it and i think as guitar players especially when we're taught in the beginning, you're taught this is a D minor chord or this is a D minor seven, this is a minor seven. So whenever you see that, that's what you play. Whereas with playing solo guitar, if you have the melody and you know the chords, you got this whole neck. You don't have to play all six strings, all five strings. You know, and it took me a while to deprogram myself because I just assumed that's what you had to do. And then you hear Joe Pass or you hear Wes or you hear people, especially people who were not like trained because they're they're not having these rules in their head i can play two notes and it'll fill up yeah. and sound like a chord because it's going from this chord to this chord or they'll play something in between and it's like oh wow okay i don't have to play all of these and once you get that at least for me once i got that out of my head it was kind of like oh i could do a whole bunch of stuff now yeah, because like in the beginning, there might be like, okay, you're going to learn this set of materials, but it doesn't mean later that you're tied to them. It just means that that's how you began. Right. And then you have to be able to move on and think about it differently. Um, and that kind of brings us to Ben. Um, there's a question you always ask, and I think it might be a nice way to sort of wrap up our, our hour together. Do you want to jump in there? Yes. Yeah. So um, the question that we ask all of our guests, uh, usually towards the end, kind of how we wrap them all up, like Kim said, uh, would be if there was one thing that you wished you would have asked as, as a student here, looking back, you know, what you know now that you didn't ask, that you didn't, you know, you know, search out, what, what would that be? That's hard, but I, it's hard and it's not hard. I'll put it this way. Um, what I should have done was being an ear player, me coming to Berkeley was like, I'm coming to Berkeley. Forget what I know. You all teach me something. And what I should have been doing, I think I would have got a lot more out of it was I'm already doing this. What is this called? Is there a technical term for this? Is there this for this? Like really, really asking just finding those questions or finding those faculty and asking them that, you know, um, yeah, that would have been the one thing I would have asked. And like, and that's more of like a approach, just not asked, but a approach because I end up doing that anyway. All the guitar teachers that I had, uh, they, they, they're no longer here. This is no slight on the people that are here right now. Uh, we end up just playing. Uh, it was a lot of times it was a whole lot of playing. You know, so it was like I, I had certain information. It was just kind of like, I don't know what you call it. And that would just open up a whole door. Yeah. So that's probably what I would have asked. MP and &E, I don't know. Um, yeah, that's a whole that's I would ask a few different things for that one. I, I love that. And I think that's a good time to remind everybody that. Faculty of office hours, our ensemble faculty um, and our guitar faculty have office hours and we have free tutoring. Um, we actually have ratings, audition, preparation, tutoring. Mm. In the 
And so come, if you're a student here, come and take advantage because a lot of times people don't, and I know everyone's busy, of course, Mm -hmm. but you know what? Sometimes just sitting with a person, you don't have to feel prepared to learn something. Just come and sit and take a deep breath and like get a perspective on how to practice. Um, It's like what you said. Sometimes when you, you kind of hit a rut, the best thing to do is sit with another person. And it, it, it helps your grade. Like, the other tutor I needed to get was Tonal Harmony. Mm-hmm. And I forgot Skip's last name. And he's actually a guitar player. Classical guitar mm-hmm. player. Uh, Skip. He's still here. I've seen him on the street. Oh, man, I forgot his last name. He was my Tonal. I mean, I stayed in his office. Because I'm like, I'm not getting this at all. But sometimes, this, y'all didn't hear this from me. That helps you great. Because faculty see that you're not just. You're, you're trying. You're honestly trying. You're there in their office. I was really trying to get it. So even if you get that might be a difference between you getting a C plus and a B minus just mm-hmm. because you've actually done. You're doing the work. You're showing like, hey, I'm not just oh, I don't get it. OK, well, come to office. I was oh, no, I was in his office all the time. Like, I need to learn this information. I need to get a good grade. So I need to get it. And it's really hard for me. I'm not getting it, you know. And that's actually probably another question I would have asked how to relate mm-hmm. or to figure out how to relate what you're teaching me to where I can understand it and use it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that's, that's, a, that's actually a question I would ask you all probably offline just to figure out, like, how do you how do you do that? How do you, you know, especially say if it was like tonal harmony or something like that, like how can we. Like you get it to where somebody could actually understand who may not be coming from that. I I mean, I think obviously we could do episode two with you (laughs) coming up, but we're definitely going to keep talking. Um, Cheryl, as we wrap up this copy, do you have any final thoughts? I think this was a great conversation. Thank you, Tyrone, for joining us and sharing all your experiences. I mean, you're such a, you've been involved in so many aspects of professional music and musicianship. And um, so I know students will love, and we have, we have a, fans beyond just the Berkeley community, you know, just guitar nerds and whatnot that tune into this. So I know everybody's going to love it. So thanks. Oh, for Thank you all for having me. This was great. Hey ben, what, what about you, Ben? Uh, actually, I have one more quick question that, okay. that I want to ask. Um, so, this is kind of a, a rumor, I think, that's been around since I was a student about ensemble ratings, and it's a frequently asked question mm-hmm. that I get from a lot of the students that are looking to declare performance, and maybe their ratings aren't where they're supposed to be yet, so they have to do a ratings audition. Mm-hmm. And it seems to, be, seems to me that a lot of these students think that if they go to a ratings audition and they just have a bad day and they tank it, they're going to go down in ratings. Is that true? Have you ever heard of anyone losing a number from doing a ratings audition? No, I've heard maybe... I mean, it would have to be a, a very extreme case, but you can't go down. Like, if anything, your numbers will stay there and it'll just say, OK, you know, numbers are uh, sufficient, you know, with skill or whatever. But you can't have your numbers go down now. Thank you. I figured I'd go right to the source. I love it. That's all of our great. performance majors uh, watching this right now. No. And, and I would say also with that, just. Whenever you, you know, in rating auditions, the only thing you really have control over is your prepared piece. 
pick a piece that represents your strengths or whatever it is you do. I know the other running thing was that we want to hear jazz. No, we don't. If jazz is not what you do, we do not want to hear that. You know, if you're working on jazz, I was working this with my my PI teacher and I'm, I'm getting into jazz and you use that. If that's not showing what you do, don't do that. Play and bring in what you do. Thank you, Tyrone. Thank you right. so much. Right. Thank you. Thank you for thank you for saying those things. I think that's going to put a lot of people's minds here at ease. Um, so we are going to hang out the four of us for a little bit longer. Um, but for the rest of you, thanks for being with us in our new season. And we will all see you um, and we'll be with you on the next Coffee Talk. <laughs>